Thank you, Paul, for that ministry in music. Those of you who don't know our brother Paul, he is the men's director of uh, ministries at the Lebanon Rescue Center here in uh, Lebanon. So thank you, Paul, for that ministry in music. You may or may not be aware of various 12-step programs. A 12-step program is a set of guiding principles outlining a course of action for recovery from addiction, compulsion, or other behavioral problems, originally proposed by Alcoholics Anonymous in 1939 as a method of recovery from alcoholism. Well, today I'm not going to be speaking on 12-step programs, but rather I'm going to be speaking on a five-step program. Paul's program for the church to recover from spiritual and behavioral problems. The church at Corinth, in a word, was a mess. They had all kinds of difficulties and and problems. Last week, we looked at some of the warnings that Paul issued and rebukes in anticipation of his coming a third time to address the issues at Corinth. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, gives us an insight as to what Paul expects that he is going to find when he arrives at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, Angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. What is the remedy for those behaviors? Strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. How would you like to to worship in a church that's characterized by those attitudes and behaviors? How unpleasant that must have been. And the church was made up of a a number of different factions. First Corinthians refers to those factions, some of them more healthy than others, uh, some of them that uh, literally denied very basic truths of the Word of God, and others that were very committed to Paul and to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was all kinds of infighting and discord that was manifesting itself in the church. So Paul ends the book of Corinthians with five exhortations, literally commands. They are five commands for the church that if they would do these things, would radically transform their relationships, their disputes, their slanders, their gossip. Here is the positive remedy. Not just what's wrong, but how to make it right. How to make it right. For Paul says in 13.7, Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right. So it's not just about what's wrong, it's about what's right and how to make it right. So Paul addresses the believers 
In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brethren, speaking to those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and these remedies are only applicable to those who know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. It's the way of the body of Christ interacting with each other that is honoring and glorifying and healthy. So we look at these five exhortations or commands that are given in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, and I'm calling them the five steps for getting back to a healthy church. First step to getting back to a healthy church is to be authentic. To be authentic, to be genuine, to be real, to be forthcoming. All of that I'm getting from this one word in verse 11, rejoice. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Other translations have NIV, goodbye, and King James, farewell. Now that may seem like an odd translation for this particular word. It seems to be very broad, but the reason for its breadth is that the word that Paul uses here is a very common way of closing a letter in the New Testament era, such as we may say sincerely, sincerely, at the end of, of, our, of our letter. And so some Bibles tend to bring that concept across by saying such things as goodbye, farewell, Sincerely yours, as the normal closing of a letter. However, I think there's a lot more going on than just a traditional close to a letter. I believe that that Paul is saying this in real sincerity. Uh, Rejoice, just as we may close the letter and say sincerely yours and, and really mean it. And one of the reasons I say that is because of the next verse. If you look with me at verse 12, it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And as we read that in our culture, uh, that is something that we don't normally do. We don't tend to greet people with a kiss unless they're a relative or an extremely close friend. We don't tend to stand back at the door and give kisses out. Right? Tend to shake hands. All right, that's that's unusual. So we read that verse and we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, we say, "Greet one another with a holy kiss," and the emphasis becomes this kiss. And what are we doing? Kissing one another, but it's the wrong emphasis. It was a normative practice in the day. That's how you greeted people. You kissed one another on the cheek. And there are a lot of European countries today. You travel to, you see, and that's a normal way of greeting. They they kiss each other on the cheek. The kiss is not what is unusual. It is the holiness of the kiss that is what is unusual. And that is what the Apostle Paul is addressing. In other words, may the kiss be sincere. May it be authentic. May it be real. In the New Testament, you may or may not remember 
that Judas, when he was betraying the Lord Jesus Christ and was bringing the authorities to Jesus, he entered into a scheme with them and said that I will identify Jesus to you. He will be the one that I kiss in greeting. Matthew 26, 48. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I shall kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then Luke twenty two forty eight. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas, how dastardly. How horrendous. How hypocritical. That you are feigning to be my friend. You are feigning to be my devoted companion. That you would betray me with the sign of a kiss. As though Jesus didn't know Judas's heart. As though Jesus, Judas, Jesus was not aware of what Judas was doing. So we might put this in our culture and say, greet one another with a holy handshake or greet one another with a holy hug. The idea is one of sincerity, one of sincerity and rejoicing in sincerity. Look at verse nine, just two verses before this one. Paul writes, For we rejoice, exact same word that we are referring to in verse 11. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that he may make you complete. Paul is saying, I am rejoicing, the one who is weak, when you are strong. Now, have you been with us for the weeks of these studies? you will know that the Apostle Paul was weak in their eyes because of some of the physical infirmities that he possessed. And he talks about how he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed and wasn't removed from him. And then he said he learned to become strong in weakness. And so he was glad in order to be weak. But they looked down their nose at the Apostle Paul because of his physical infirmities and other reasons. And they viewed him as weak. And Paul said to them, I rejoice, verse 9, when we are weak, but you are strong. Paul is saying, I'm happy for you that you aren't experiencing the hardships and the difficulties that I'm facing. I'm glad that you have that opportunity to look down your nose at me Because I'm manifesting weaknesses that you are not. I'm happy you're not going through them. I'm happy that you are not enduring them. I'm happy that you are not experiencing them. So Paul, when he writes in verse 11, rejoice is being extremely sincere. And is not just using a perfunctory kind of closing but in reality, wants them to rejoice with each other when they are experiencing the goodness and blessings of God. To be happy 
for each other. To be thankful for each other. Not to be jealous. Not to be argumentative. But to actually be glad when other people are experiencing goodness at the hand of God. So sincerity, I'm using the word authenticity, in our relationships to, to one another, in which we really do manifest honest-to-goodness care and concern for one another. That our greetings and our interaction with each other are not just perfunctory greetings, that are not just platitudes, so that when we greet one another, we may say, well, how are you? And walk right by without any chance for the other person to respond because it's just a way to say hello. And we're not really interested in how other people are. When in reality, you see that greeting, if it's met with sincerity, if it's met with authenticity, is a wonderful greeting. How are you? How are you? Good to see you. Is it really good to see that person? Glad you came. Are you really glad that they are here? Hope you're doing well. Are you rejoicing with them? If they are doing well, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Brothers and sisters, if we say that, you better be praying for one another. There needs to be reality to our professed uh, relationships to one another. You see, the relationships in the Corinthian church were a sham. They weren't caring for one another. They were gossiping. They were doing all these other things. So Paul's first step is be authentic. Be real. Be genuine. Don't be hypocritical. Show real concern for one another. The second step is to be restored. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Now this phrase, NAS, be made complete. NIV translates this, aim for perfection. The word translated as perfection or completion does not mean sinless. It doesn't mean sinless. Rather, it is a word that means to be restored to perfect condition. Perfect in the sense of like new. Or we may use the term mint condition. For example... The restoration process that one might enter into with an old car that is badly in need of repair and needs to be made like new again. We restore a vehicle. Some people may be restoring a home, mending that which is broken, fixing that which needs to be fixed. This exact same word is used in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. And listen to that verse. And going on from there, we saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, 
John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Now the word, mending their nets. And he called them. The word translated as mending their nets in Matthew 4.21 is the exact same word in our text that's being used of be made complete. It's to fix what is wrong. To fix what is wrong. Thus the Corinthians need to be restored, renewed, refreshed, rededicated in their relationship to the Lord and to each other. They need to come back to their former selves. They need metaphorically to mend their broken fences. You've heard that term about relationships, mending broken fences. That's what they need to do. They, they need to set these things right. They need to get back to an original luster. This is not an admonition to dedicated Christians to go on still deeper in their relationship to Christ. That's always appropriate, but that's not what's being talked about here. Rather, it is a word to those who have wandered from God to get back on the right track. It is a word to those Christians whose lives have become dented, scarred, beat up as a result of sin, heartache, and the miseries of life. Their paint is lackluster. Their lives are greatly in need of repair. The call is to be restored to mint condition in your relationship to the Lord and to one another. Paul is calling this church back to its roots, back to its foundation, to enjoy the fellowship with one another that they once had. In order to do that, they need to mend their fences. The third step is to be encouraged. To be encouraged. And let me just back up before I leave that uh, statement and go, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse um, 9, once again. For we rejoice. Remember I said that is the same word as we found in verse 11. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you may be made complete. That is the exact same word that's used in verse 13, translated in the NAS, is to be made complete. So Paul prays for that which he exhorts them to do. That's the word for restoration. He prays that they be restored, that they be renewed. So we see that the way to accomplish this is through prayer. Through prayer. To be praying for ourselves and one another, longing for a restoration of uh, our lives with each other. The third step is to be encouraged. To be encouraged. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete. Now the word in the AS is be comforted. NIV is listen to my appeal. These translations seem to be quite different, it's because these words are multifaceted. They are pregnant, if you will, with ideas, giving birth to a whole lot of different concepts, but they're all related to each other. It's all about an appeal to be comforted, to be in, encouraged. In Second Corinthians, the concluding statements are directly related to the entire body 
of the epistle. These are concepts that are going over and over again in the book of Corinthians. So that in the beginning, Paul writes this. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted of God. That's the exact same word that's used in our text here. Where Paul is saying that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we might comfort others. And so Paul writes to them and says, be comforted. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Help one another. And it's a word that is used most often in association with the expression of forgiveness. People lament their sinful condition. Many times people are are weeping. They're sorrowful. They are hurt. The church is a place to come and to be comforted. That's what Paul wants. Paul doesn't want to be rebuking and warning. He wants to comfort. But you see, before you can comfort, there has to be repentance. But when there is repentance, then it's the church's duty and privilege and, yes, joy to administer comfort and say, it's okay. God's going to help you. God forgives you. We forgive you. It's a way of expressing true, genuine concern and happiness that people are getting back on the right track. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 1, it says this, Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The book of Isaiah begins with rebuke. It starts in Isaiah chapter 1 with Israel being compared to an adulterous country, a foreign nation. God writes to them in Isaiah chapter 1 and says that your new moons, your feast days are an abhorrence. I cannot tolerate them. And so God rebukes. And we have the rebuking chapters. And then Israel experiences repentance. And he cries out to Isaiah and he says, Comfort, comfort my people. Tell them that they have received double for their sins. In other words, all of the payment for their sins has been met. There's nothing else for them to experience under the judgment or penalty of God. It is our duty to hold out to people who need to experience forgiveness that when they repent, they have done absolutely everything that's necessary. 
to experience the blessing and goodness of God because Jesus Christ bore the punishment of our sins. We are not to lay on anything else. They've already received more than enough. They've received double, the book of Isaiah says. Ours now is to welcome and to comfort, to encourage, to heal. Not to maintain, and not to put off, and not to separate, and not to divide, and not to gossip, and not to slander, and not to abuse, but to comfort, to encourage. The fourth step in this process is to be cooperative. To be cooperative. Verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted. Now this statement, be like-minded. To be like-minded. It is like-mindedness not just for the sake and purpose of being on the same page, but it's like-mindedness in serving together in the cause of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. The one-mindedness is the mind of Christ. It's the mind of servitude. It's the mind of seeking to, to benefit others. Maintaining love, unity, intent on one purpose. After writing that, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Here are two women who had shared in Paul's ministry. Two women that had been faithful in serving God, but for whatever reason... We don't know what's happened, but these two people don't get along anymore. It happens. It happens. Unfortunately, it happens. People that have served alongside of each other in the cause of Jesus Christ. Good, born-again people who should know better and act better that don't get along. Brothers and sisters in Christ that won't talk, won't fellowship. And it's being experienced wholesale in the Corinthian church. I grew up in a church that at one point in our existence we began to experience this. And there were people in the church that I attended that wouldn't talk to each other, wouldn't say hello. They sat and worshipped, listened to the same uh, sermon, sang the same hymns, Worship the same God, but we're angered with each other and embittered towards each other. That's wrong. That's wrong. It shouldn't be accepted. It shouldn't be tolerated. We should show a spirit of cooperation, working together for the cause of Jesus Christ. Separations, divisions in a church do not foster the work of God. They hinder it. When people split, when people leave, 
They don't further the testimony of Jesus Christ. They hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're not asking people to abide in situations that are wrong and sinful. We're asking people to do something about it. We're asking people to repent. I often say to people, uh, when I'm uh, speaking to them about their marriage, that marriage is a life commitment. It's not a life sentence. That is intended. We are to be committed to each one another forever. It's a life commitment. It's not a life sentence. It's not gathering together in misery. It's gathering together in joy. And you see, these steps are going to have a lot to do with what our experience is like in relationship to one another. And I just want to say, you know, this morning, uh, I'm, I'm preaching through a book. I'm, I'm trying to be uh, faithful to the Word and expositoring, uh, expositing what's in front of me. But I'm thankful that as I look at our church, we're not experiencing these things at this time. But that doesn't mean we couldn't someday. That doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't be on guard. And a lot of it is having a cooperative spirit of working together, which means that we're seeking not just what's good for us, we're seeking what's good for the whole. And uh, we're on board and being supportive. Last, step five is be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Finally, live in peace. In rejecting Paul's teaching, they were, of course, going to manifest this unity. Romans 8, 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind that set on the spirit is life and peace. We are told in Romans chapter 12, Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil. Reject what is, respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. So many of those very same principles that we're discussing in 2 Corinthians 13 are found in Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those that rejoice. This is exactly the words that our verse opened with. If possible, live at peace with all men. It's the closing of the verse that we are, we are looking at. You see, peace is the result of these right behaviors. Without them, you don't know peace. You don't experience peace. You don't have peace. Peace isn't just manufactured. Peace is the result of right and good behaviors. And so Paul writes in verse 11, the result is, and the God of love and peace will be with you. God of peace is a very common close to a letter. In fact, Paul closes six of his epistles with referring to the God of peace. This is the only place in the scripture where in his closing it uses the words God of love. God of love. Which once again demonstrates that Paul isn't just offhandedly closing this letter. He's choosing his words wisely and I'm talking about this as though the word of God is not inspired. It is inspired. It's infallible. It's that which God has given to us. These ultimately are God's words to us. Chosen very carefully, very importantly. The God of love and peace will be with you. You will experience God's love and God's peace. 
as you act in this way. But if you don't, that love and that peace is going to be foreign to our experience. We're going to be longing for something that we don't know anything about. I pity people that go to church and go away and haven't experienced God's love and God's peace. So, the final benediction in verse 14 is so significant. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For ultimately, this all comes from God. And the Apostle Paul just calls upon God to bless this church. May the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus, may the love that comes from the Father, and the fellowship, communion, relationship that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. And may it be ours. May we really experience and demonstrate to one another the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship and unity of the Spirit. If we do these things, we'll be a healthy church. Let's pray. Our Father, bless us, watch over us, protect us, help us, O God, to that which is well-pleasing and right in your sight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If, if we could this morning, if you would, I'd like to change the closing hymn. Sorry.